2008, and some of you may have heard of this, in a church uh, 40 minutes from here in Langley, a large, uh, newer church, there was a, a worship band playing, doing a youth concert. And uh, just at the beginning of the concert, second song of this thing, uh, the floor immediately in front of the stage collapsed and about 40 people got injured. They fell through into the basement below. Part of the stage collapsed. It was, it was kind of a shocking thing that this happened and they were just starting this thing and I heard about a very, some of them were injured seriously. I think they said three out of the 40 were injured seriously. The same thing happened uh, in uh, that was 2008. The same thing happened in 2018 in Bogota, Colombia. There was a nightclub where the same thing happened. The floor uh, in front of the platform where the DJ was collapsed. And I, I don't know the numbers of that one, but I'd heard of it, and I had also heard of the same thing happening. I think it was in Chicago or something that there was a a, a club, a nightclub, up on an upper floor of a high rise. So, I mean, this is like a skyscraper, you know, a sturdy building. This isn't, you know, some, you know, little, you know, shack. And same thing happened. People dancing, and the floor gave way. Same thing, and, you know, dropped down. I've heard of these kinds of things taking place. Now, the, it wasn't a matter of, you know, shoddy workmanship or, you know, the engineers, you know, just didn't do their job. Uh, this is, these are buildings in that case, particularly the high-rise, concrete, um, iron beams. This is like a, a solid thing, but people dancing were able to collapse a thing. I watched the brief video of the Columbia nightclub and of the Langley Church in both cases. I don't know that it was the same in the Chicago thing. It was everybody at once in front of the stage doing that kind of thing like this. Oh, They're all, you know, doing this. All at the same time, you can see the band is up there and everybody's doing this at the same time and all of a sudden, they disappear. They fell through. This thing, this unified sort of bounce was able to collapse concrete and iron. I used to work in the steel business. I know what those beams look like. It's, it's quite a thing to think that you could make them drop out. And, you know, it's possible that some of these buildings were made out of wood, but a skyscraper, definitely not. This thing, people dancing in unity were able to collapse something. It makes me think, makes me question, say, do you think that us walking together in unity, trying to do something constructive for the Lord, do you think that we might have more power together than that? People just out having a good time bouncing, and they can, you know, break through a floor. That we can do something constructive in line with the will of God when we're moving together as one. Unity is powerful, amen? It's powerful. It's, a, it's something you see it in sports, a team with less talent than another team, but they function together. Boy, they get things done. They can do things. Uh, it's, it's the same with a work crew. People use, working in unity when they know, you know kind of who does what, they can get things done. Unity is powerful for good and for evil, for constructive purposes and destructive purposes. Unity is a powerful thing. Uh, all the way back at the beginning of the Bible, one of the 
I don't exactly know what year this would have been, but all the way back in Genesis chapter 11, there's an account of powerful unity, powerful oneness for worldly purposes, for the glory of for the glory of man, independent of God, not for the glory of God. Sometime after the flood, as people had multiplied and spread a little bit in the east, in the area that's it was called Shinar then, it's now we it was later called Babylon, which they say is probably somewhere in Iraq. Um, people had multiplied, and the leaders had this idea, uh, and they, they hatched a plan to build a tower temple. Uh, in the plain, there, there's a city, and they decide they're going to build a tower, the top of which will reach to heaven. And it says to build a tower and a name for themselves. It was humanistic. It was a thing, well, God, we don't need you. We'll do this on our own. This thing, they, I mean, it's hard to see. Down at the bottom, you see they've, the, whoever painted it, um, it was a Russian painter, and you can see the clothes don't look like probably what they were wearing in that region at the time. But this is showing it partially constructed. And what happened in this thing is that it says the Lord came down to see this thing which they had begun to do. And in verse 5 of chapter 11, Genesis 11, it says, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which they had built. And he said, Behold, they are one, or they are one people with one language. He said, And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Really? In some kind, now there might be some element of hyperbole there, but something about the unity of these people, they can control a lot of stuff in the earth. And God intervened to confuse their language. In fact, the, this is called the Tower of Babel or the Tower of Babel. It meant, Babel meant gate of God. After that, it meant scattered. It's like, nope. Not going to happen. God intervened to confuse their language and scatter them. We're not going to have this humanistic unity where they're going to control all people. So he confused their language. It must have been a funny thing. Show up for work the next day. One guy's, you know, speaking Mandarin. And this other guy who the day before was speaking whatever is now speaking, you know, Portuguese or something. It's like, what? What are you talking about? They couldn't understand each other. Can you imagine this? This is a sudden thing. It would have been very strange. Where'd that sound come from? That was me. I didn't know I could speak Spanish. I like it. (laughs) It's like all of a sudden everything changed. They get dispersed. And even the devil knows the power of oneness. And he too is constantly attempting to intervene and scatter God's people. He does not like it if people are walking together in unity. At the start of worship, I mentioned that verse where Jesus said, wherever two of you agree, where as touching anything that you might ask, it'll be done for you. Two of you agree. Wow. This is a cool thing. The word agree, that's in uh, Matthew 18. The word agree is actually a Greek word that is symphoneo, which sounds like symphony. It means wherever you harmonize, wherever two of you agree as touching anything, I think that's way cool. Where you harmonize. doesn't mean agree you have exactly the same thought on everything, but you harmonize. What I think, what you think, these things harmonize together. They work. And where two people agree, there's power. One can put a 1,000 to flight. Two can put 10,000 to flight. There's power. So you know the enemy is always ready to intervene to scatter God's people. He doesn't want the people of God walking in unity. Can you say amen? He doesn't want it. Why? Because it's his undoing. Because we can do powerful things more than we would imagine in the world. 
with, when we're walking in unity. Uh, people with a unified purpose can do something glorious for God, something more than that. So we can actually have the God of heaven come down to us. We can reach him in a moment without a big construction plan like this. We can reach him. God has been doing some valuable things in our midst. I like what God's doing. He's been doing some good things, working in people's lives, touching people. I got to tell you, last week, we finally kicked people out of here. We were here till after 10. People just wouldn't leave. We turned the lights out. They kept going. No, that's not true. We hung around and people were just fellowshipping. And then at 10 o'clock, we started praying. (laughs) It, It was just, it was a beautiful time in the presence of God. I think the enemy hates it because he can see, oh, there was There was family, there's community, there's prayer, there's things happening. God's doing that. We know we would be naive and foolish to think that the enemy doesn't want to intervene and disrupt that and mess it up. If people are walking together and being blessed and growing and being inspired and being encouraged and belonging, the enemy's going to try for sure to come in and cause trouble and division. That's his game. He's going to divide because he knows how powerful oneness is in general and in the people of God like nothing else. Just before Jesus' arrest, he prayed in John 17 that his followers, both then and now, because he said, those who are here now and those who will believe through their word. So he projected this all the way forward to us. He prayed that his followers would all be one, just as he and the Father are one, so that the world would believe that the Father had sent him. There was something about the unity of the people of God that says to the world, to the watching world, that Jesus was sent from heaven. It, it doesn't just add up to me, but there's something about the oneness of the church that says Jesus came from the Father. Then he carries it even farther and says, uh, he says it even more powerfully, he says uh, that they would be perfected in unity, perfected in it, so that the world would not just believe, but know that the Father had sent him, and that the Father loves us. This is mind-boggling, that the Father loves us just like he loves Jesus. Jesus was not, he was praying this. He wasn't I mean, Jesus always told the truth. But he was praying this to God. He wasn't even just preaching it. He was praying it, God, that the world would know that you love them just as you love me. That is mind-boggling. That God loves you just like he loves Jesus. No difference. That's incredible. Look at the person next to you for a second. Yeah, God loves them just as much as he loves Jesus. And as an old preacher always said too, God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He's going to do a work. But he loves us. He will never love you more than he does right this minute. Why? Because it's not based on your performance. It's based on his glory, on his great love. He'll never love you more. He might get more pleasure out of what you do than before. But he'll never love you more than he does right now. All of that, Jesus prayed that, that unity, that the people of God would be perfected in unity, and that would be a witness to the world. So with division in the body of Christ, the opposite would be true. Oh, that discredits 
the witness of Christ. It's easy to discredit it because, hey, you Christians can't even get along. There's something about the unity of God's people that testifies to heavenly realities, to powerful heavenly realities. You know the devil wants to interfere with that, right? Let's not let him do it. Let's make a decision today. God, you're doing good things here in our midst. We want more. And I'm not going to allow a stinky attitude in me for anybody in the church. I'm not going to allow it. I'm not going to let it fester. In the same way that I don't want to let, you know, this continue on. I don't want to let lust carry on. I don't want to let anger carry on. I don't want to let gossip. Listen, Michael, I just want to tell you right now about Alex. I'm not gossiping. I'm just telling you this so you'll pray for him. It's like, come on, you liar. You're lying to yourself. Don't do it. When you catch yourself... Hey, I heard of a guy that said this. When he heard someone speaking about someone that way, and this, this was beautiful. This would take a bold person. Stand up for one second, Michael. The guy said, someone came to him and he started saying, hey, did you hear about Alex? And he started doing something. And the guy said he did this right away. He went, brother, I can see that you got Alex on your heart. Let's pray for him right now. And it's like, oh, man. Talk about calling him out. It's like, mm, you, that would be a little convicting, right? All of a sudden, that person would have a change. It's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you start, brother. <laughs> you know? I'll follow after you. Okay. The theme of unity we've been looking at for a few weeks, and it stems from our focus at the beginning of June on Pentecost Sunday, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so we've been reading this passage now for the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, from Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read a little bit more of it tonight. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, and then we're going to skip down and read from 11 to 16. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit In the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the works of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's awkward, is it the same? To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Another translation words that this way. The measure of development which is meant by the fullness of Christ. Just a little more understandable uh, for me. Um, Verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Amen. This idea, last week we looked primarily at verse 3, that where Paul urges us, make every effort, or he says, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Um, this, we aren't creating the unity. It says, preserve the unity of the Spirit. It's already there. The Holy Spirit creates it or possesses it or supplies it. We simply preserve it or maintain it. But it's not passive. 
We don't create it, but he says, make every effort to preserve this. Make every effort. Be disciplined about it. Be serious about it. Be diligent. Don't let those words come out of your mouth. Don't let those attitudes go without saying, God, forgive me. I know how it is. I know how I am, and people have things to say about me. God, I don't want to be saying those kind of things about other people. Be diligent. Make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit. And here's something, one of the inspiring things about this. There is only one Holy Spirit. So when he says, preserve the unity of the Spirit, there's unity in the Spirit. Why? Because there's only one. There's only one Holy Spirit. So if you've entrusted your heart to Christ and received his Holy Spirit, you have in you the very same Holy Spirit that the Apostle Paul, who wrote this, had in him. The same Holy Spirit that filled Peter on the day of Pentecost. And John and James, you have the same Holy Spirit who empowered Stephen that even in the face of being stoned to death by his persecutors, he looked up to heaven and said, God, don't hold this against them. Wow, that's love on another level. You have the same Holy Spirit working in you. The same Holy Spirit is in me as is in you. The same Holy Spirit is in us that's in the believers in Afghanistan and North Korea where they're persecuted and they're praying for revival. The same Holy Spirit that is in the underground church in China right now praying that the gospel will continue to flourish like a brush fire to go across that great land and 1.4 billion people. The same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that's working in the believers in Brazil and Japan and in Europe and in Russia and wherever. There's only one. He's in us all. He's in the ones who've received Christ, young and old. Same Holy Spirit. There is only one. Everybody say there's only one Holy Spirit. There's only one of them. There is unity in the Holy Spirit. Okay, Paul says... There's one body also in verse 4. There's one body, one spirit, one hope of your calling. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. But to each one of us, he says, individually, grace was given. He gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then in other places, he includes, right here, he covers only these five ministry gifts. Grace was given. But in other places, he talks about the gifts of hospitality, the gifts of administration. He talks about different gifts as well. The the diaconid gift, which means a servant in the house of the Lord. People who do works of service, who are the kind that do those things behind the scenes. Nobody ever even knows what it is you know, what they did. There are those kinds of gifts. There are people with a gift of giving, it says. That's their gift. They just do it. They, you know, I mentioned earlier about tithing. I, my first pastor came from a church in Calgary, and he said there was a couple in the church that, um, I, I forget what he said. The, I think he said the guy owned a car dealership. And This couple, they had a gift of giving. They started giving. (laughs) Instead of tithing, they kept a tithe. They were keeping 10% and giving 90%. Well, that's a gift. That's not a law that somehow you have to do that. That was a gift of giving. They just were those kind of people, and God used them. God bless us with more people with that gift of being able to make money and finance missions and finance the sending out of the gospel. God, do it. Please do it. Many times over. People with different gifts, God gives them to people for what? He says here in um, verse 12, to build up the body of Christ. To build it up. To make it strong. To make it healthy. To build up the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all together as the one body of Christ attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. These gifts that God gives us, and he gives us different ones. The person next to you has maybe some of the same, but some different gifts. And God puts 
He does that. He distributes those gifts in the body of Christ so that together we can build the body up, we can make it strong so that we can all attain to the unity of, unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and then it says, the measure or the degree of development which is nothing less than the fullness of Christ. Oh, let's see it. God, do it. Please bring it. The objective is that all God's people together have and share all that God is. That's what he wants until we attain to the fullness of God, until we're sharing the fullness of who he is. That's God's desire, God's plan. Now, of course, that won't be completely fulfilled until we're before him, before his throne in heaven, but there's more than we've experienced to date, amen? God has more for us even while we're here. If that's... If this was dependent on human effort, I would say, let's give up now. Let's, let's close up and let's go out and eat. <laughs> let's go do something right now, if it was based on human effort. But of course it's not. It's a work of grace. He even says here, but to each one of us, grace was given. It's a work of grace and the Holy Spirit. It's God's work in us for his glory and we benefit but it's for his glory forever and forever we're together enjoying it a work of grace and the holy spirit in his one people now look at where paul takes this appeal next he says make every effort to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace that word peace is another word another Greek word that actually appears in every book in the New Testament. Every single one, that word appears there. And it's a relational word. It, we think of peace. What, what's the first thing you think of when you hear the word peace? No war. Good. Anything else? Go ahead. I'm not going to embarrass you. It's not a trick question. It's like, you said what? No. Go ahead. What, what else? What is peace? What do you think of when you hear that word? Calm. Sleeping. Amen. Anything else? Peace. Tranquil. Harmony. Tranquil. Yeah, that's right. Calm. I, I heard of, a, of a, uh, an art contest many years ago. You've maybe heard this story too. Someone was, they were told, we want to depict peace. And the winning, um, what would you call it? The winning entry was a picture of um, a seagull or some kind of uh, ocean bird. And there was a raging sea and a cliff. And the bird was tucked in into a sheltered little spot. And that was the depiction that won. Because it, which is beautiful because peace doesn't mean everything around you is suddenly at peace. I... I'm not actually expecting a day, one day, on this planet to ever be like that. You know, there's, that there's always something going on. But this idea that I can be at rest, even in the midst of that storm. But this word, peace, includes that, just like the Hebrew word, shalom. But it doesn't just mean tranquility. It means contentment. So no matter what's going on, it means prosperity in a healthy way. It also means relationally. It means relational harmony. Among us, like person to person, but also us to God. Peace. We've been, uh, Romans 5 talks about having been justified, we have peace with God doesn't just mean tranquility. It's tranquility because we are relationally harmonized with God because of what Christ has done for us. Peace. He says, make every effort to um, may preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of this relational peace. Okay? It's one of the fruit of the Spirit, peace. Make every effort to maintain it with the, in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit. All of us were called to share one glorious hope together and we maintain the bond of peace. We're bound together in the peace of God. But now in verse 7 um, and on to verse 16 and much of the remainder of the letter, Paul points to something he addresses 
in two other letters in, in the New Testament, Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, there is one body, he says, made up of many diverse, contributing, functioning members. One body made up of many members. He, he emphasizes this in Romans 12 and again in 1 Corinthians 12. We're not one and growing despite our differences. We're not one despite those things. We are growing and one because of those differences. Just like the body. Different things are doing different things, right? Different uh, aspects of your physical body contribute to overall health. That's how this works. That's how it works in the body of Christ. We're one and we're growing because of our differences. That's God's will. Look at verse 16. The whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies as each part does its own special work. That's the New Living Translation. As each part does its own work, according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Romans 12, uh, 4 and 6 says, We have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, Let each of us exercise them accordingly. Use what you've got for the building up of the body. 1 Corinthians 12.12 says the body is one and yet it has many members. I mentioned earlier about a a sports team that will function as one so that sometimes even without the most talented player, players, a unified team can get the job done that another can't. I haven't met many famous people in my life. You know, some people, they tell me, oh, you know, I met whomever, like, you know, somebody in our church. Once I asked the question, who's the most famous person you've ever met? And the person said, Muhammad Ali. I thought, okay, well, you win. I can't think of many people more famous than him. There was a while in his generation, they said he was the most famous person on the planet. So I lied and told her I had met Princess Diana. And no, no, I didn't. But I haven't met many people, but the church where I did my internship was in Los Angeles. Not a huge church, but there was a guy attending that church named A.C. Green. Have any, has anybody heard of A.C. Green? Okay, a handful of people. A.C. Green played on the Lakers, the Los Angeles Lakers, when Magic Johnson was on the team, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, James Worthy, Byron Scott, these guys. He was the fifth guy he was a starter on that team. Picked 23rd overall in the draft the year he was drafted. And yet, on that team, he was kind of like, like they weren't looking at him to be the scorer. He was a defensive beast. And he was a rebounder. And he was there to, so that guys like Magic Johnson could do his thing. Yeah, you know, and he was, I'm sure he was amazing. Um, you know, I'm sure the guys that were on the end of the bench that never got on the floor were amazing in, you know, most of our world. But A.C. Green was part of a team. He had a role, and he was not trying to be Magic Johnson or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who I think, isn't he the number one scorer of all time? Like, I mean... So why would you try to, you know, kind of do that? This guy's got that covered. And so here's this guy playing on that team. And he's got a function. He, he had a function on that kind of a team. And a lot of people would think, oh, yeah, that guy. You know, <laughs> you know Byron Scott, James Worthy, Kareem Abdul, uh, Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, and the other guy. <laughs> And yet he, he plays on that kind of a team. This is something where we function with our gift. And it's like, do you think he's pining away that he didn't score like Kareem? He's got three championship rings. That's pretty cool in the world of athletics. He's got three championship rings. I think after that he played on the team when 
uh, Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant were on it too, which again, the guys played with all the giants of the game. This thing, I say that because we have a role in the body and it's good to know what it is. Not, I mean, personally, when I played sports, I wanted to be the guy putting the puck in the net. I liked it. There was something, the endorphins went crazy when I saw the puck go across that red line. It's like, woohoo! I wanted that role. I wanted to do that. But other people look and say, no, I want to play defense. I want to be the biggest beast on the blue line that nobody will ever get past me. And some crazy people want to be in net. They want to be the goalie and have people firing that piece of rubber at them. They're, they're nuts. But they have a gift. <laughs> God wants us. He's given us grace for a role. We do our role. The body gets built up. Amen. Sometimes looking over and saying, oh, I wish I had their gift. I wish I had their gift. Boy, it's easy to do. I'm kind of competitive. I want everybody's gift. I want to have them all. Like, is, does anybody else think like that or am I just, well, okay, good. I'm glad to know that you sinners think the same way <laughs> I do. It's, it, yeah, it's like you see people's gifts and boy, it's appealing. You want to you operate in those. Unity is essential. Using our gift for that unity and for building up the body is beautiful and powerful. And those gifts are supernaturally supplied by the Holy Spirit. It is worth our every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But as we're closing, I want to point out two powerful forces that are working in tandem that, so that the unity that we're preserving is the unity of the Spirit and not a, not a counterfeit, not an unhealthy, um, diseased, humanistic uh, unity. You know that God intends to grow. He intends the body to grow and be healthy. He doesn't want it to be sick. He doesn't want the body of Christ to be divided and to be unhealthy. In the midst of Paul's strong uh, admonition here to serve and contribute to the growth of the body, he says in verse 14, we aren't to behave as children. Now in another place, it says the kingdom of heaven is for them. The context different. It meant these ones who trust and depend and give their hearts, you know, the simplicity of childlike faith. In this context, he says, don't behave like children. He means don't be immature, ignorant, irresponsible, or selfish. And I mean ignorant in the true sense. Ignorant as in just, I, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm not, you know, just to, immaturely ignorant. Don't be tossed about by waves and winds of faulty doctrine as we read or teaching of crafty, deceitful people or schemes. Don't let it happen. We're to, Paul is saying all these things about unity, and then he says, don't let these things throw you around like, like immature, kind of ignorant kids. We're to grow up in every way into Christ, the head. How? Verse 15, by speaking the truth in love. There's no unity with falsehood. Amen? Speaking the truth in love. There's no unity with lies. The father of lies is the devil. There's no unity with falsehood. Our unity is not some sentimental, sloppy kind of you-do-you kind of thing. Now, of course, there's the thing of you-do-you, you use your gift, but not just... Ah, uh, you know, it really, we get away with, with anything. You do you kind of compromise, humanistic kind of spirituality. The truth sets boundaries, amen? amen. 
The truth sets boundaries for things. They're righteous boundaries. They're healthy, life-giving boundaries that are for our benefit. Just like parents set boundaries for their kids. They don't just say, you do you. You do whatever you want. Oh, no. I mean, you do you. And there's sometimes it's like, no, you're going to do me now. <laughs> That's just how it is. Let me, how many parents are here tonight? Go ahead and raise your hand for a second. Yeah. Did you ever have to step in and set boundaries for those kids? <laughs> yeah, once or twice. God does not just say, go free. Paul doesn't just say, go free, do whatever you like. No, speak the truth in love to build up the body. When I was doing campus ministry at UBC, there was a guy who, who ministered to grad students there. And he was a really bright guy, a theologian. This guy was really knew a lot. But I, I'm not, I, I want to say this not just to be mean. This guy was mean. He treated people like garbage. It's like... Wow, you're very knowledgeable, but man, you treat people really bad. Badly. Sorry for my poor grammar. You treat people badly. And, of course, he just thought we were, you know, kind of, you know, those flaky charismatics. Like, he didn't need, he didn't care what we thought about. It's harsh. He was speaking truth, oftentimes, but with no love in his heart. The truth without love can just be harsh and ugly. The other side of that equation, I actually don't think true love ever omits the truth. Doesn't mean you say everything you think just because it's true, but love can get what we call love can get sloppy and sort of careless. Like, oh, you know, oh, you're, you know, you're, you're cheating on your spouse, listen, you know, you do you. No! Stop sinning. Smarten up. You need to repent. There's a place to call that out, amen? We would not say, and this is popular in our day, I went past a church just a couple weeks ago that had six doors and they were painted in a certain way and each door had a word on it. It said, God's doors are open to all. And I just thought, well, of course God's doors are open to all. However, that does not mean that we don't call sin, sin. That we actually celebrate sin. If that thing said, God's doors are open to all adulterers, I would say that's actually true but we're not going to celebrate your sin when you come to Christ. You're going to have to repent. You're going to have to turn from your sin. Right? It's getting awfully quiet in here. Listen, God loves us enough that he will not look the other way at our sin. And telling people that they're okay to continue on in sin... I've heard, oh, we want to be loving. Listen, that's not loving. If somebody's like that, and if I was cheating on Rose, if I was that dumb, I would want you to come and tell me. I I believe you would. That's why I picked you. I believe actually a few of you would. You'd come and say, what are you doing? I have a feeling that Michael would get violent. (laughs) And praise the Lord that he would. Because it would not be loving to just say, listen, John, I, you know, your, your new 
girl is really, she is special, so I could see why you're doing this, but, you know, you really need to find a way to figure this out and make them both happy. Come on! What's going to happen? I'm going to go to hell! And you didn't come and say to me, what you're doing is cutting yourself off from God. And you're going to spend eternity separated from him. That's not loving. Amen? Amen? It was getting quiet in here and it got louder. Listen, we're not playing games. It's life or death. The devil's playing for keeps. He wants you. And God's playing for keeps. He wants you. And we're not going to fiddle around and, you know, look and say, no, we don't call out sin. I don't mean we're jerks and we, you know, and that we're mean and somebody comes in and the first time they're here, we say, okay, you know, we all can tell what your sin is. No, that's silly. God's bringing people. He's got a program, but we do not look the other way. God is speak the truth in love. Amen. Amen. Say it. Speak the truth in love. We're going to do it because what's that going to do? It's going to build up the body of Christ. And that, this whole passage ends with that saying, each part supplying what it can causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. God intends to, to do these things for our good. It's for our good. Uh, now, I'm going to move over here and I'm going to just say, we're going to do this quickly. Communion is up here. I'm going to just move that off. I want you to come and take communion and uh, grab it. Just come quickly and go back to your seat. Go ahead and do it now. Go ahead and grab a cup, grab the bread. There's two of them so you can come up right away. Jesus died on the cross to save sinners from their sin and the death that sin earns for us. He's promised through the cross to forgive us of sins and to grant new life to all who put their trust in him, in his sacrifice, his cross, his resurrection. And Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he said, when someone said, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent, and, which means turn, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord your God shall call. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for you. In in this same Holy Spirit, we're joined in oneness. We're joined in oneness to love and serve the Lord forever. Now I want to just read this as we take communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses um, 16 and 17 is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ this cup that we bless is a sharing in the blood of Christ this represents the shed blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ. The blood, the body. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Okay, this bread represents the one body of Jesus that he had that he sacrificed. He gave his body on the cross for us. All he had left, all he had, his body, he gave on the cross 
for you and me. Now, there's still one body, and we're it. If we have put our faith in Christ, we're part of the body of Christ. So today, let's take this bread that represents the body of Jesus. We're sharing in his sacrificed body by faith together. It says, since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. We're one in Christ. We're all sharing that same sacrifice. Let's take any. Father, we thank you for the body of Jesus sacrificed for us. As he said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We, as we eat this bread now, we remember Jesus who gave everything he had for us. Let's take and eat. It's not the cup of blessing which we bless, a sharing in the blood of Christ. This grape juice represents the blood of Jesus shed for us to wash our sins away so that we can have new life. We can be cleansed of all our sin. Let's drink in faith with thanksgiving. God, we thank you for the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for us. Powerful enough to wash away the greatest sin the, the greatest stain on our souls and to make us clean and qualified to stand before you as your children. Let's drink with thanksgiving and faith today. Father, I pray that you would bless your people today, tonight, that this word, this uh, hearing of your word again would be written in our hearts that the parts that are not from you, you just wipe away. But the, the things that the Holy Spirit wants to um, plant permanently in us, that you'd etch those things on our hearts, that we could um, live this out and walk in oneness. I even now take authority around this church and pray against the schemes of the enemy to sow division. The lies he would speak, the rumors he would cause, the gossip he'd like to stir, the divisions he'd like to bring, we shut those things out and pray right now a protective shield around the people of God in this place in Jesus' name. Bless each one, God. I pray, Father, you'd give us a newfound... Um, grace for walking in unity, walking uprightly with one another to accomplish all of the great things that you have in mind for us. And we pray this in agreement in Jesus' great name. Can you say amen?